So you probably already know this because you are a, a high school student, but according to the latest studies, one of the most pernicious and difficult things that you have to deal with is anxiety and depression. And in fact, in 2019, when the Pew Research uh, asked the question, uh, they found out that most people your age would agree that the biggest thing facing most of you is those two things, anxiety and depression. In fact, over the last year and a half, those studies have shown that the, the felt need in this area has increased um, because of you're staying home and Zoom over this and that, uh, that it's created a greater sense of, of anxiousness in your, your life and in your heart. If you're going to ask, okay, what is anxiety specifically? Well, uh, according to some definitions, it's, it's a bit hard to wrap your head around, but here's, here's how at least the Webster's Dictionary defines it. It is an apprehensiveness or an uneasiness or nervousness, usually over an impending or anticipated ill. And of course, that's an important factor of it because the anxious part of you is forecasting something in the future. There's an uneasiness that is either real or perceived about something that is to come. And as a result of that, you begin to feel anxious. And that can manifest in a lot of different ways. You might feel a certain sense of, you might tremble, you might have a faster heart rate, you might be sleepless, or if you're awake, you might have a racing mind that you just can't shut off. Uh, if uh, if it's particularly bad, you might begin to notice other symptoms in your, your physicality. So it could be as bad as you even have digestive issues. You could start losing your hair if it's really bad. Um, and, and again, this is not a lessening issue in your generation. It's an increasing one. Now, of course, there's a lot of speculation as to why that is, uh, but really it doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is that you are experiencing it, and a part and parcel with your generation is learning how to wrap your hands around it and how to deal with it. It's provoked a lot of different people to respond to this. It's not only you, it's people around your age group that have felt this. In fact, there's a song called Anxiety by Julia Michaels, and I've edited it. If you know the song, I'm not encouraging you to listen to it. But she writes, my friends, they want to take me to the movies. I tell them, leave me alone. I'm holding hands with my depression. In other words, anxiety can make you feel like I want to spend time with people, but at the same time, I don't because I, I want to wallow in my, my loneliness. And right when I think I've overcome it, anxiety starts kicking in to teach me a lesson. The, the point that I think, oh, I have some leverage now, I can get out of this, that sense of darkness, that uh, depression, that anxious feeling begins to wrap its arms around me and basically keep me caged up. Or, oh, I try my best to just be social, I make all these plans with friends and hope they call and cancel. You ever have that feeling where it's like, I, I want to do things, but then I plan those things in the hopes that they don't want to do it after all. Then I overthink about the things I'm missing. Now I'm wishing I was with them. Feel like I'm always apologizing for feeling like I'm out of my mind when I'm doing just fine. All my exes say that I'm hard to deal with and I admit it, yeah. But all my friends, they don't know what it's like, what it's like. They don't understand why I can't sleep through the night. I've been told that I could take something to fix it, which is what a lot of people do. In fact, the United States has been called the Prozac nation or the Xanax nation because much of people your age and even beyond are suffering with anxiety in some level, shape, or form that they begin to self-medicate. And medication itself is just one way to do that. There's a lot of ways that people try to medicate themselves out of anxiety. So she says, I wish... Uh, it was that simple, and I, I appreciate her honesty because realistically, even though medication might be a solution, it is often, and per perhaps most in cases, not the solution because all it does is mask the symptoms, and, and really the issue is at the heart, not necessarily at the biology. So she says, I wish it were that simple, that I could just take something. I could medicate myself, whether it's drugs or drink or something else in between. She knows, and I, again, I appreciate this, it's not that simple. All my friends, they don't know what it's like, what it's like. And there's another factor of anxiety. It tends to isolate you and make you feel like really no one else gets you. You're alone in this. No one gets me, no one understands me, but realistically, uh, according to the latest studies, there's a lot of people that know what it's like, that know what it feels like. And their inclinations might be to self-medicate or to run away or to hide or to become antisocial. And in that, what you need to know is that Jesus speaks directly to this problem. Now, granted, it didn't look the same at first century Israel, but it was still an issue. Their problems and their concerns weren't about fitting in necessarily. Their problems were much more, uh, much more realistic, much well, not more realistic, that's the wrong word, were much more pressing. 
It was food, it was drink, it was clothing. They were concerned about being able to provide for their families. They were concerned about being able to live another day. Our anxieties and fears are a little different. They, they manifest in different ways for different reasons, but the core issue is still the same. In fact, one of the things that Jesus is going to encourage us to do tonight, really to not run away from anxiety, but to battle it. He's going to encourage, encourage us to fight fire with fire. He's going to help us to think through what it means to be human and to know how to fight the very real and pervasive issue of a fear of something. It's going to help us to say, essentially, he wants us to keep battling anxiety. And here's what I want us to do with this. This is cute and kitschy, but let me, let me say, no, keep battling anxiety will mean that we know, believe, and act. See what I did there? Keep battling anxiety, know, believe, and act. Um, most of us know what the Bible says about this, that, or the other thing. In fact, the verse that we're going to look at tonight, the passage, is not new to you. You've heard this preached before. In fact, you might have heard it if you're, if you're here long enough. I preached this in True North a couple years ago. Not the same sermon, by the way. You know what the Bible says. The challenge for most of you is in step two or three, to believe what the Bible says and to act upon it. The question then for you tonight is to know, does God have enough for me to trust him? Do I believe what God says, and am I willing to take steps of faith and obedience to what God says, or am I just going to be content with knowing the right thing and not doing the right thing? Knowing, believing, and acting. To keep battling anxiety, all three need to be securely in place. If only one of those is there, particularly the first one, it's like you're, you're play fighting. You're not really engaged in the battle. And so when you go through periods of anxious thoughts, feelings, and leading into depression, if you're not knowing, believing, and acting, you're just kind of floating. It's like the person who says, like, yeah, I know how to get, I know how to get rich. I spend less than I make, and I do savings, and I invest in this thing and that thing. They could tell everybody how to do that. But if you say, okay, what does your bank account look like? Well, I've got $5 in my bank account right now. Well, okay, you know the right thing to do, but you're not doing it. And therefore, your authority in this is really low. You have low credibility. The Bible wants you, Scripture, Jesus wants you to know who he is, to believe who he is, and to act upon who he is. Anxiety is a powerful temptation. And, I, and, and, and tonight, I'm going to promise you that if you put this sermon into practice, you will have some strong tools in your tool belt to effectively deal with it. It may not be the end of it for you, in the next sermon. It may not be this week. You may not finally overcome it, but you will have tools to deal with it as a Christian. And let me just tell you now, it is easier for you to go to your doctor and get something prescribed to you. Take two of these, once in the morning, once in the evening, you're going to feel better. That's not how Jesus calls us to deal with soul issues. In fact, tonight I'm going to give you some hard work to do. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have tools to employ so that you can deal with what's going on in your heart. Let me tell you this. Everybody in this room knows what it's like to, to feel anxiety, every single one of us. So this is relevant to every single person in this room. And even though this temptation is powerful, and most of us don't feel equipped to deal with it, Jesus gives us strong encouragement and fortification for how to deal and overcome anxiety over and over again. Part of that's going to be telling ourselves the truth and focusing on God's priorities. Let me show you from Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 25. This is the classic text that you know about anxiety. We need to go through this to really understand Jesus' heartbeat toward us. He starts by saying this, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Now, you can't see this in English, but this is a strong encouragement from Jesus. It's not just an encouragement, it's a command. Don't do this. Don't give yourself over to this. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Now, I talked about first century Israel and them having an issue with what they're going to actually wear. You might actually feel this too. What you eat, drink, and put on. It may not be those exact things like, oh, I'm not going to have enough to eat, food to eat or water to drink or clothing to wear. For some of you, there is some anxiety about what you wear because you feel like you look ugly. Your clothing isn't up to par. You don't feel like you have nice enough this or cool enough that. And so you feel judged by people around you. Or even if not feeling judged, you, you in your mind forecast judgment upon yourself because you think, well, they're going to notice that my, 
my shoes are knockoffs or my, my shirt's not a real this or that. And they're going to know that my family doesn't have as much money as their family. And people are going to think less of me. And am I going to date her because she knows that I'm from a lower class? And she, I mean, all, all these things, it seems silly when you say it out loud. But realistically, this is some of the backing track that's going on in your hearts and heads. Jesus says, don't do it. And he doesn't leave us there. He starts giving us some teeth for why we shouldn't do this. He says in verse 25, the second half of verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap. They don't gather. They don't have a savings account. And yet your heavenly father still feeds them. Are you not of more value than the birds? He goes on, and which of you, by being anxious, by fretting, by being afraid of the future, by being afraid of what people think about you, by being afraid of what school you go to, or whether or not you have enough to give to other people, which of you, by being fearful or anxious, can add even a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, think about, reflect upon the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They don't work hard. They don't have a job. They don't go and go to school for four years and then go after that for more school and go to medical school to get the doctorate. He says, yet I tell you, even King Solomon, with the most money in all the world, having all the resources available, King Solomon in all his glory was not nearly as beautiful and as majestic and as extravagant in its display than the lilies. Verse 30, but if God is willing to clothe the grass of the field this way, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I love this. You see the tenderness of Jesus, and yet you also see some of the strength, the teeth of what he calls you to do. Jesus essentially is saying, look, um, you need to understand, if you are in Christ, you should not have any reason to give yourself over to anxiety. Well, why? Well, because the birds and the lilies, and I care for you. Your father cares for you. Essentially, what he does is he says, look, don't be anxious, and here's all the reasons why. Essentially, the first thing that you need to do, if you're going to know, believe, and act upon uh, battling your anxiety, you need to first confront anxiety with reality. And here's the challenge for you because I know all of you guys, or most of you guys are compass kids. You know the ropes. You've been taught since you were young to know Bible verses upon Bible verses and to even know some pretty good theology. But for the, for, uh, for the most part, you know it, but it hasn't made the connection with your heart. You might know from the head knowledge, but you don't know from the heart knowledge. You have a sense of what that means, but you don't really understand the way it's supposed to affect you and change you. If you're going to effectively deal with your anxiety, the battle is not easy. You need to demand that your heart respond to the truth. And today, let me tell you, you're on an uphill battle uh, because everyone around you is encouraging you to do the opposite. If your inside, inside is believing false narratives, the encouragement today is, well, believe the false narrative and make your outside fit the inside. I mean, one of the problems right now is something like gender dysphoria. Let me make the connection for you. Anxiety is kind of like gender dysphoria. Anxiety tells you you're not good enough. People are judging you. You, you should be afraid of this thing. You know, you're going to get crushed if you do that. You're not smart enough to do this other thing. You're not this, 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 and this. You're ugly. You're stupid. Why do you even think of yourself in this way? Are you really a Christian after all? You're an idiot. I mean, I know the internal monologue, right? And here's the problem. Your inside, your inner person can craft amazingly powerful stories that you are tempted to believe. In the same way, when you experience gender dysphoria, your inside is crafting a powerful narrative that you are tempted to believe. It can be so powerful and so strong that it can last for years of your life, according to some testimony, to the point where you feel like the only logical option is to make your outside conform to what you feel on the inside. Look, young person, make no mistake, this is a powerful, powerful force in yourself. It can feel like, no, I really understand myself. I feel like I am, in, I mean, in this case, as you know, Bruce Jenner, who is now Caitlyn Jenner, I feel like a woman. And, and in your mind, I don't want you to, I don't want you to mischaracterize him and pretend like, oh, he's just an idiot kind of guy. No, I, I mean, People are going through this. 
And I'm trying to tell you that your anxiety is a lot like that because anxiety tells you a narrative. It tells you a story that you're tempted to say, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I believe that. Yeah, I'm not powerful enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'll never measure up to my dad's standards. Yeah, no, my mom is right. I don't deserve this. My, or whatever. Or my close friend. They say something to you and it's like, oh yeah, I believe that about myself. I, I am that person. Or I'm worse than what they know. And here's the thing. Some, and the, 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 the horrid thing about anxiety is some of what it says is true. We'll get to that in a second. But you need to know that in order to combat your anxiety, you need to wrestle with truth. Jesus says, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Okay, so feel that, all right? You need to confront yourself with reality. Don't be worried about what you eat, what you're going to drink, what your body is, what you're going to put on. Your life is more than food. Your body is bigger, greater, grander than clothing itself. So some of the truths that you need to understand here, some of the truths you need to wrestle with, is first and foremost is anxiety is sin. Okay, I want to clarify this because I know some of you are going to be like, well, I just, it, it happens to me. I don't ask for it. It just happens to me. Two things. First, when I say anxiety is sin, I'm qualifying it because I'm saying Jesus says don't do it. Don't give in to it. So that tells me there's a measure of your complicitness. You're giving in to something. There might be the temptation to be anxious, and I'm not necessarily saying that's the sin, but when you give yourself to it and you dwell upon that or you let the false narrative continue to repeat in your mind, you're giving in to the temptation to be anxious with greater anxiety. In fact, anxiety is a vicious cycle, okay? The cycle is this, whatever the lie is, you believe the lie, and so you continue to reinforce the lie. You believe the lie, and then you continue to reinforce the lie with your disaster forecasting or your feelings of whatever, inadequacy, fear, whatever might happen to be there. Anxiety is something that we should not accept. Now, now let, me, let me say, uh, the first thing is sin because Jesus says don't do it. The second thing, I recognize that for some of you, and I, I got, and thank you guys for your emails. Some of you guys responded to me about the way that you experience anxiety and some of the things that you're most anxious about. Thank you. That was helpful. For some of you, you don't choose it. It happens to you. Now, don't raise your hand, but do you know what it feels like to have a panic attack? It almost feels like, well, why is this happening? Why is my heart racing? Why do I feel shaky? Why am I feeling terrified? Why do I just want to cry and run away? Why is this? I don't know why this is happening. It's just, it's just washing over me like a wave, and I have no idea why this is here. I just know I'm terrified out of my mind, and I just can't figure out what's happening to my soul. I get that. I've been there. I've been there. When Jesus speaks to that, I'm going to go back to what I think he's getting at with this. He says, don't be anxious, in part, because what you're feeding yourself, what you're casting your eyes and your attention upon are going to have a natural effect on your soul. Here's the thing. This is related, but you're going to have to follow me, okay? Whatever you're giving your attention to every single day is leaving an indelible impression upon your soul. Where do you spend the bulk of your time in your day? What do you watch? What do you read? What do you listen to? What series are you going through? Everything you do with your life, with the energy God gives you, is leaving an indelible impression upon your soul. Whether or not you realize it in the moment, which is why you might remember uh, last week we talked about spiritual warfare, right? And I said even potty words can be a form of spiritual warfare. That potty words can be used to poison and darken your mind and your soul in ways that you may not fully comprehend. You may not be aware of it, but it's still happening. It's like if someone, uh, has someone ever like put their finger on your skin, they do something like this, they pick their finger up and then your skin is like left with that impression that's like white or, you know, something like that. that it, everything in your life leaves an impression upon you. There are shaping influences all around you that are leaving an impression upon your soul. Therefore, since you as an image bearer of God have a choice about what influences to imbibe and receive, the results that happens in your soul is partly on you. We'll come back to this in a second, but Philippians chapter 4, Paul would say, look, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellence, whatever is worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, give your life's energy to things which will magnify the glory of God in your soul and not things which will cause you to, result, uh, to respond in anxiety, fear, depression, sadness, sorrow, all of those things. You have a choice, young person. You have a choice. What you do with your attention, what you do with your life will have an impact on your soul. And so 
if you are prone to panic attacks, if you're prone to fear and anxiety or anxiety's ugly cousin, depression, if that's you, you need to take stock of your whole life and say, what am I feeding my mind, my soul, my, my heart? Because it will come up. You reap what you that's true as much about harvesting as it is about the harvest of your soul. Who are you following on Instagram? I mean, really, who are you looking at day by day? On TikTok, what influences are you listening to? They will have an impact on your soul, whether or not you allow it. You allow it simply by allowing, allowing that stuff to enter your heart. So recognize anxiety is a sin. Jesus tells us not to do it. I'm not saying that every experience of it is the same and you're, com you're complicit in every experience, but recognize Jesus doesn't want that for you. And again, uh, that's the truth you need to start with. So, so here, here's how I imagine this might work. You're anxious about summer camp. You're anxious about um, your girlfriend, your boyfriend. You're anxious about school. You're anxious about measuring up. Step one, Jesus, please forgive me that I am afraid of something you tell me not to be afraid of because it's sin. Lord, I want to trust you and not trust myself, not trust my circumstances. Anxiety is sin. Reject it. He also goes on to say, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. I don't know, do you guys like birds? Do you guys, is anyone a bird watcher? Anyone? No, 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 nobody does. Birds are awesome. Jesus says, look, uh, I command you to be a bird watcher, essentially. Look at the birds of the air. And he says this, he says, look, they don't sow or reap. They're not the kind of, they're not, they're not going out there and planting gardens they're not building houses. Um, he says, and yet, even though these guys are lazy, they, uh, uh, they are fed by their heavenly father. He says, and aren't you more valuable than these birds? Now think about this for a second. Okay, think about the crow. Think about the crow. And I mean, they're loud, they're obnoxious. No one likes them. Everyone tries to hit them with their cars. I mean, no one likes the crow. And yet God still permits the crow to live. I mean, they're terrible, right? They're always in your trash cans and, they're, and they get big too. These dudes are huge. And, not, and Jesus isn't saying they don't work. I mean, obviously, they, they go and gather. They go and pick, and they, they go and ruin your grass by trying to get the worms in it. But Jesus, look at them. I take care of them. And if I take care of them, won't I take care of you? How about another bird no one likes? The pigeon. Pigeon, these poop everywhere. I mean, they, they seem to be pointless. And yet, God says, uh, Jesus says about the Father, the Father feeds the birds. And if the Father feeds the birds, he's going to take care of you. I want to make a point here. Jesus is saying, look, lesser creation is provided for by the Father. Greater creation certainly will be provided for by the Father, won't it? Now, two points to make about that. Number one, Jesus is making an argument from the lesser to the greater. The second point I want to make is something I highlight to you, lesser creation. You are more valuable than a bird. You know that, right? You are more valuable than a bird. I know Peter would tell you otherwise, and there's other organizations that want you to believe that you're just the same kind of matter that everything else is made of, and therefore you shouldn't think of yourself any more highly than any other created order. Christians can say, God made the birds, God feeds the birds, and so we value birds. We shouldn't try to run them over with our cars. We value God's creation. God values it. Therefore, we value it. But if push came to shove, if you're in a car and your choice is to hit Jameson or a bird, I hope you choose the bird. Don't run over Jameson. Jameson is more valuable than the bird. All of you are more valuable than birds. It's a crazy day that I have to say that, but you got to know when God looks at creation, he looks at lesser creation, animals, birds, trees, fishes, and everything. He says, look, you, make, you matter more than these things. And therefore, if I care for these, I'll care for you. That's his point. When you're confronting anxiety with reality, you got to recognize God cares for lesser creatures. Tell, preach that to yourself. If God cares for birds, God's going to care for me. You have to tell yourself this. Preach this to yourself and don't let yourself mull it over and pretend like there's some kind of a, you know, oh yeah, he cares about birds, but in this case, he doesn't care about me nearly as much. God cares for lesser creatures. Verse 27, Jesus says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? Essentially, Jesus is saying, look, your time being anxious is wasted energy. It is fruitless activity. Now, I want to make a clarification here. There, Paul will sometimes say, in fact, in Scripture, Paul uses the word anxious to say, look, I have anxiety for the churches. 
The kind of anxiety that's being talked about here is not the, a biblical, godly anxiety of caring about the well-being of others, of being uh, deeply concerned about your spiritual growth. I can kind of resonate with Paul this, this afternoon, or rather this evening when I delivered the news to you. I have a concern about how you receive that. I have a godly anxiety that you respond to this well. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about an anxiety that does not trust God. In fact, all anxiety, essentially, it's a fear that is not grounded in God. It essentially says, I don't trust you, God. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. I could do it better. Now, are you saying that? No, but that's what anxiety is. I don't trust you. Jesus is saying, don't waste your energy on that. Twenty-eight through thirty. Why are you anxious about clothing? Think about the lilies. If you guys don't like birds, maybe you like flowers. Hopefully, flowers are. You look at flowers every now and then. Jesus makes the comparison. Look, you. Solomon had all of the world's resources at his disposal. He could buy Gucci. He could buy all. He could buy Supreme. He had all the money available. He says, yet even though Solomon had an unlimited bank account. He was never as well-dressed as the field over here that he points to. I can imagine Jesus just saying, look over here at these lilies. And, of course, all the common folk would be like, oh, those are nice lilies. Great, Jesus, what's your point? You're saying, look, this field was decorated by God the Father. This field was made beautiful and glorious by God's hand. This is not an accident, he might say. This, these colors and, and the way that these pop and the way that they grow, this is all by God's careful and meticulous design. He wants you to see that God cares even for things that appear in some ways to not matter at all. You, you need to tell yourself the truth that God cares even for the meaningless details. Meaningless details. And of course, I quoted that because there's no such thing as meaningless details in God's economy. Your height, your weight, your eye color, your hair, your constitution, your, whether you're strong or, or less strong or whether you're a male or female, I mean, and think about this. Jesus says, God numbers the what? Numbers the hairs on your head. That's a fascinating thought. It's not that God merely knows the, the hairs on your head. He numbers them. And that's different, right, than essentially saying, look, I know your weight. I could say, I know your weight. I know how much you weigh. It's one thing to say that. It's another to say, I weighed you. <laughs> It's, there's a different kind of interactivity there, right? And Jesus says that the Father numbers every hair on your head. There is interaction there. There is a sense in which God is essentially trying to make it clear to you, look, you're not just uh, matter in space. You are carefully loved, meticulously provided for. And God cares for all of these meaningless details. These are the things you need to recognize and tell yourself. This morning, I noticed as I was pulling into my driveway, uh, there was a, a, an orb weaver on my tree. And I noticed that over the last couple of days, he had been building this, uh, this web. And I kept telling myself, I better destroy that web. Otherwise, he's going to make this mass. I mean, because they make massive. You, you've all seen orb weavers. They look a little like this. They make these massive webs. They're, they're harmless to humans. So if you ever come in contact with one, say hi. <laughs> But he was making this web, and I thought, I better take care of that web. Otherwise, it's going to get bigger and bigger. And so eventually this morning, I got, I'm like, okay, I have enough min minutes. I'm going to go and take care of that orb weaver's we uh, web so that he stops making it and no one walks into it. So as I got closer to the orb weaver's web, I, I started noticing more detail because the sun was hitting the web just right. I could see everything. And I thought, this is amazing. I, I, could, I could not get over the fact that this little creature made this incredible tapestry of webbing. And then I started looking at him, or her, I guess I don't know what it was. I don't know what the spider was, but I started looking at him and realizing the intricate detail that this hideous creature possessed. It's like, it's beautiful. I don't like spiders, but it's still a beautiful creation of God. And then I took my finger and I started destroying his web. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, and here's what I found out. As I started destroying his web, I noticed, wow, this is really strong. Like, I gently did it, and then it worked. Like, I'm not, I know I'm not that weak. And so I went back, and I just, I realized that the web actually was really, really strong. And so as I destroyed his web, I had to kind of, like, move it and get out of the way and, and jerk it in order to destroy the web of this spider. And then as I'm driving away, and I didn't know I was going to use it for this sermon until I got to work, until I got to church, I thought, wow, the amazing beauty 
of creation on full display. And God made the spider. God made the web. God designed this little creature that no one's going to pay attention to, except for like spider scientists and perhaps youth pastors. <laughs> no one cares about the spider. And yet the spider built this incredible tapestry with this incredible body, with this incredibly strong web. And I thought, this is the God that I serve. This is not an accident. This is not a, oops, that, that happened to be pretty cool. No, God designed the spider. God designed every specific detail of your life and the spider's life. And if he cares about spiders, cares about lilies, he cares about grass, cares about you. One quick point here. Verse 30. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I want to make it a point here that if you belong to Christ, because he's saying, he's talking about those who have faith, right? Those who have faith. It's little faith, but it's still faith. I want you to recognize that God cares for you even when you don't feel it. If you belong to Christ, it means that God's always at work in your life for your good, no matter what you presently feel. And that means if you suffer through panic attacks or you're just feeling super low and depressed and all these things, you need to realize that even in that moment, in your painful moments of fear and heartache, God is at work in that moment. He cares for you in those moments. The problem is not that he's not caring, it's that you have little faith. One caveat. If you are not in Christ, I can't say the same thing for you. And all this point that I just gave you is really hard for you to apply because you've not yet submitted yourself to his kingship, to his care and his provision. So I would beg you tonight, if you're someone who suffers with anxiety, step one is to repent of your sin and stop living for yourself. That's going to take away a lot of anxiety and toil off of your plate. Because you won't be living for yourself anymore. You'll be living for the, the reason that you were designed. You were made for King Jesus. Submit, surrender, and then apply this sermon. God cares for you even when you don't feel like it. These next few points are less robust, I promise you. Let's continue on in verses 31 through 33. He says, look, therefore, because of all the things that you said, don't be anxious. Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But instead, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Essentially, what Jesus is now coming to a close on, he's essentially, look, don't be anxious about these things because your father who knows you and has made you and recognizes every genetic portion he designed you with, he knows you need these things. He's not going to deny you. Therefore, direct that anxiety into something more meaningful. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't be anxious, but take all that anxious energy and put it to good use. Don't waste it. Don't fret. Don't concern yourself. Direct it into something that's going to make a difference in your life. Essentially, redirect your anxiety into worship. This is the clincher. The first thing is telling yourself the truth, right? No, believe, act. First thing, I need to know what God says about this. And in fact, you should go digging deep in your Bible to look up verses and to meditate upon God's word for whatever anxiety you're experiencing in that moment, whatever the connection is, whether you're anxious about school or work or whatever, take that to the Lord, meditate on scripture. But then once you know the truth, believing now is going to say, Lord, I, I want to worship you for who you are and what you made me to be. I'm not going to let my anxiety rule me. I instead am going to submit that anxiety to you, and I'm going to, re well, I'll tell you, I'm going to do a lot of things with this anxiety. I'm going to turn it into worship. <laughs> what is this? Pop quiz. It's a cassette player. Good job. No doubt I had one almost exactly like this. When you love somebody, when I, when I was with cassette player, you would make them a mixtape. Like when you care about them, you, you make a mixtape. And to do that, you required one of these things. What's this? It's a boombox. Good job. Okay. I know right now, like, I could, if I had this still, it would be like thousands of dollars because you guys are all into retro stuff. This wasn't retro. This was current for me. So I, was, I would make a mixtape if I really cared about someone. You know, and then you'd have to record on one side, and then you'd have to time it. You'd have to listen to the radio. To listen to the radio and find the song you want to hit record at the right time and then hit stop at the right time. And then you'd have to do that over and over again. Um, for someone that you cared about, to make a mixtape. It's an act of love. Today, all you have to do is just create a playlist and then send them a link. <laughs> you want to date me? Here's a playlist. <laughs> I, 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 yeah. 
when you were going to break up with somebody, usually that mixtape would have to get destroyed. So to formalize a breakup, you guys, you know, you, got, you go public, you take their photos off of your Insta, you change your status or whatever. In my day, you would just break their mixtape. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> and in that sense, in all the history you accumulate, it's just gone. It's over. It's just broke it. In that sense, your relationship just stopped, right? Anxiety doesn't work that way. You can't just hit stop, break the cassette, and run away. In fact, one of the things I don't want you to hear me saying tonight is just stop. Just stop being anxious. Just stop that. Just, just, just turn it off. Because you could turn off a mixtape. You could break it, never have to play it again. You're not listening to that song anymore. But anxiety kind of has this backing track where it's playing constantly. Sometimes the volume's lower. Other times the volume's louder. And you can't just stop, which is why, which is why Jesus says, look, don't give your energy to anxiety. Instead, give it to something that's going to be better. You can't just hit stop. You have to hit play on a new track, which is what I'm talking about when I talk about worship. Don't be anxious. No, instead, redirect anxiety into worship, which means, first of all, confessing your weakness. As I told you earlier, if anxiety is a sin, that means you have to get in touch with the fact that, Lord, I'm not strong enough. I can't do this. That's a good thing for you to say. That's a great thing for you to take to Jesus and to say, look, Lord, I don't have the resources to battle my own soul. Confess that to him and let him work on you. And in fact, repenting and confessing your weakness, whatever it's about, is like the father who said to Jesus, look, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I trust you, Lord. Help my lack of trust in this moment. God, crush my insecurities. Help me to embrace and to uh, take hold of Christ Jesus. This is the beauty about anxiety. Look, what's your purpose in life? What's your purpose in life? Honestly. Glorify God. Christian student, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your purpose in this life is most fulfilled and most satisfied when you glorify God? If you believe that, you can then know for a fact that anxiety is a tool that God has given you in order to glorify him. How do you do that? Well, one of the things you have to do is learn to depend upon him, to draw near to him. Paul prays in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look, Lord, take away this ailment, take away this weakness. And Jesus says what? What did Jesus say to Paul's prayer? He says, no. No, Paul. But, but Jesus, I'm an apostle. I'm spreading the gospel among the Gentiles. Please take away this, this, this thorn in the flesh, he says. And Jesus says, no. Okay. Well, then what? Then what, Jesus? He says, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough for you, Paul. My grace is enough for you. Young person, God may not remove this thorn in your flesh. He may not. You might carry this for a long season of your life by God's sovereign decree and design. But it does not mean it has to have ownership and authority over your life. You confess your weakness, you draw near to Christ, you pull from his reservoir of strength, and you kick the devil in the face by trusting and following Jesus. Know, believe, act, right? Know the truth, believe it. This is where you believe it. Confess your weakness. I believe, Lord, that I am weak, but you are strong. In fact, Jesus says that. He says, look, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is your promise, young person. Your anxiety is a weakness, and Jesus says, my power is perfected when you're weak and I'm strong. Because when you get through this, when you overcome this sin, when you conquer this sin, you can be clear with yourself and everybody else around, it wasn't me, it was Christ in me. Him working through me. Confess your weakness. So when you say, look, I, I know I, I, I'm still, still worrying, I'm still having difficulty, I recognize I'm weak. I continue on here. For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Unbelievers seek after all the food, the clothing, the they, they, they're, they're the ones flexing. They're the ones who are, who are pretending. In fact, yeah, I know, they're the ones capping, right? They're the ones who are pretending to be something they're not. They pretend they have it all together. They're the ones who are posting the videos that, look, my life's amazing, your life is terrible. Uh, don't you want to follow me and get my program, you know, buy my system and do my thing? I got it all together, you don't. That, that's not true. They don't get it. They don't have it. In fact, they're some of the most anxious people because they don't feel secure in who they are and who God designed them to be. Namely, they don't feel secure in their humanity because they're not connected to God. When you go to Utah with me someday, STM Utah, you might notice that all across the freeway, there are signs that say, don't commit suicide. And this is, you know, Salt Lake City is 
Latter-day Saint stronghold. You would think that in an area like that, people that have this close relationship with God would not be struggling not to kill themselves. And yet, in Salt Lake City County, it's got one of the highest rates of suicide in the nation. Why? Because they feel insecure. They are not connected to the God of heaven and of earth. They don't feel secure in who God designed them to be. If you're a Christian and if you're following Christ, you can affirm his flawless fatherly care. If you are in Christ, your own person, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be afraid of. This is why I love that song, and I tell you all the time, and I, I, maybe, maybe you'll hear me this time. That's why I love the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. I am not strong enough to stay a Christian. You are not strong enough to stay a Christian. You're not strong enough to get yourself through this life. And yet, I can look back at my life and realize how God has cared for me. Do you guys realize that when I was in high school, my father was in prison? I've said this before, right? My dad was in prison in high school. So I felt this enormous sense of father hunger, like, I wanted dad to say, you, you did it, son, I'm proud of you. I wanted dad to say, look, son, you're smart enough. I wanted dad to say, you're man enough now. You made it. You know, yeah, you've got this four-point-something GPA. You're going to go to, you got the scholarship to do this thing over here. You, I wanted him to tell me, you did it, son. You did it. And instead, I spent most of my high school career shaking my fist at God and my dad saying, what a complete loser you are, and I hate you. If I can be honest with you for a second here, one of the things that drove me in my high school career was that I wanted to prove I didn't need my mom and dad. I was so estranged by the time I was your age that I was like, you know, I don't want to live there anymore. I don't want to know you guys. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to be successful because I hate you. It drove me like a drug. It woke me up early. It kept me up late at night because I knew if I could just prove to them I didn't need them, that would then make me feel like I was a man. I made it. All the while, as God laughed in the heavens at my rebellion, he put people in my life, godly men, that in the moment, I don't, I don't think I realized, but looking back, I could say God placed people in my life, strategically, men, that filled that gap, filled the void, and pointed me to Jesus. I look back at that, and I just think, man, what an incredible mercy of God. I could have destroyed my life chasing some kind of foolish ambition, when all the while, God and his fatherly care was providing for me. One of the reasons I love encouraging you guys to journal is because when I look back at myself at those points, and some of those, I, some, I have entries from high school. Some of those entries I read and I think, what an idiot. God, you've been so good to me. Thank you that you didn't judge me according to who I was at that point, but you've saved me, sanctified me, and now commissioned me to talk to people just like me several years ago now. Young person, you need to affirm his flawless fatherly care. And part of that is looking back at how God has provided for you over and over again. You're not one of the unbelievers. If you're a Christian, God cares for you individually and intimately. It's not, if you're an unbeliever, I can't say the same thing for you. But if you're in Christ, God's got your back. Every single detail of your life is planned and purposed by him for your good and his glory. You need to know that, believe that, and act upon that. Here's how you act upon that. Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that you need will be added to you. That word is important, added. You already have so much in Christ. He's going to give you more. You have everything you need in Christ, and yet he's going to put more in your account. He's going to make sure that you have all that you need. Your job then is to, as you redirect anxiety into worship, is to concentrate your energy, concentrate that energy on Christ-likeness. Seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness means that you take all that anxious energy and invest it into something that you know is going to redirect your heart's mind, uh, your heart, your mind, and your attention to that which is good. This is the battle, person. <laughs> Young person, this is the battle. No believe act, right? You know the truth, and you're going to force yourself or direct your heart to believe it. Acting upon it is saying, I'm going to seek first God's kingdom. Before I do anything else, I'm giving my full heart, my attention to Christ, his righteousness, and his glory in my life. Okay, Pastor Rod, read my Bible. I get it. I'm not just saying read your Bible. Definitely read it. I'm saying feast on Christ. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That means obviously your prayer time, your Bible. I mean, obviously, right? It's obvious. But I'm not just saying do the motions. You can, go to, you can go to track practice and you could go through the motions of what track requires and not have a good workout, not perform well because you, you didn't give it your effort. You go to swim practice and you're just going through the motions. You're just pretending to do the thing. You're just kind of 
but you're not doing it. That's, that's my point. A lot of us get in the mindset of if I just check the box like a superstitious trinket, if I just read the words on the page, God's going to use that to change me. Don't, don't be mistaken because the Pharisees knew the Bible than any single one of us in here and they totally missed Jesus. You could do the same thing. You could read your whole Bible backward and forward and totally miss Jesus in it. Reading like a Christian is reading to know, believe, and act upon that. All the while trusting Jesus Christ, trusting him implicitly, begging him to feed you with his words. Talked about worship in this point. Maybe actually sing songs to Jesus. That would not be the worst way you could spend your time. When you're going through a, a period or a bout of anxiety, turning on your favorite worship set and actually singing, that'd be a good thing to do. There's lots of other things, and maybe you can talk about some of that in your small group, but actually singing would be a good thing. Okay, last point, quick. Verse 34, Therefore, Jesus says, Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Pop quiz. How many times did Jesus say, Do not be anxious? Three different times Jesus says, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Don't. You, you hear the repetition. Now, he can't bold, underline, or highlight, right? This is verbal proclamation to his followers. And so to say something three times is a way to highly emphasize this. We talk about Jesus. We talk about God being holy. How many times do we say he's holy? Three times, right? Holy, holy, holy. When you emphasize something as a teacher, you repeat it over and over again. Jesus is doing that. Don't be anxious. He says, if you couldn't make it any more clear, don't be anxious. He says, don't be anxious for tomorrow even. Again, anxiety forecasts the future. And it's like, ah, oh, this, this could happen, that could happen. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to be strong enough. Uh, this person could not like me anymore. She could dump me. He could, he could dis dismiss me. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. What's the alternative? Essentially, he wants you to look at him. But he says, look, tomorrow has enough anxiety for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Essentially, don't think about tomorrow He's not saying don't plan. He's saying don't be troubled. Let's, point number three, rest and rejoice in today's provision. Focus on the faithfulness of God today and right now. Rest in that. Rejoice, celebrate this. Don't just, don't just look past today thinking about tomorrow. Some of you guys are so focused on the future, you can't enjoy today. You can't enjoy what God is doing in you right now. Painful emotions are tough, guys. I, I get that. And one of the things you're going to be tempted to do is to find alternative places to relieve yourself. In fact, one of the things I found out about not too long ago is ASMR. And there are people that do stuff like this all over the web. YouTube has ASMR channels that are dedicated to like crunching ice and like putting hands in sand. It's weird. It's bizarre. Uh, one lady does cosplay and ASMR, which I'm like, what does that do for you? What is ASMR? Uh, the, the term stands for autonomous sensory meridian response, which is when, I, I guess the way it's supposed to work, if you hear a sound, it gives you the tingles from your head down to like through your body. It's like, oh, that feels good to hear. You know, it's one of those things. And people are using this as a way to alleviate stress, anxiety, worry, fear, and etc. People are doing some crazy things today because they're looking for anything to help them self-medicate. Scripture gives us a different prescription. Let me just quickly run through this. Philippians 4, 4 through 6. Um, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. We rest and rejoice by, first of all, voicing gratitude for today's grace. Young person, there's so many reasons you can thank God today. So many things that you can be thankful for. So many things that you should actually say to God. This is important. I'm using the term voicing. Voicing is an actual physical verbal declaration of something. And, and that would mean not just praying, but even in, your, in the middle of your day. When you get to class and you're able to spend some time with that friend that you really enjoy, God, thank you for Jameson. I don't know why Jameson keeps coming up my sermon. Thank you, God, for Nick. I love Nick Daniel. He was such a joy to be around today. God, thank you for Liberty. She was such a blessing to be, and I really enjoyed that. God, thank you so much for providing me that friendship. Or here, here's another thing. Some of you guys, uh, let me see. Uh, none of you guys are in a wheelchair. A couple years ago, when my high school director ruptured my Achilles tendon, I had to roll around on a scooter. It was humiliating. And it was either that or crutches, and I felt like the scooter was a little faster. So I went with the scooter, but I didn't like it. 
People took pictures of me, and I, was, I pretended to be like, oh, no big deal. It's funny. But I was like, I was embarrassed by that, man. I had this scooter. And then, I mean, I was faster than everybody. I could, I could, I could scoot faster than you could walk. That was fun. But I did really, really appreciate having two legs and walking by myself. <laughs> Small things in life that I'm like, oh, that was, that's really nice. It's really nice to have that. You're not in a wheelchair. Your muscles work. Your hair covers your head, which someday it won't probably. Sorry. You have the ability to sleep one hour and wake up and still be fully functional the next day. I don't, that's not going to last either, but that's a blessing. I mean, right now, think about that. Right now, you're in a temperature-controlled room, and the, and the AC, you might feel a gentle breeze on your skin. That's keeping you perfectly climate-controlled and comfortable. Your clothes are soft and some of them silky smooth. Girls have these really soft clothes and it feels good on your body. I get all that. I mean, guys, you have clothes that feel good. I mean, your shoes are nice and comfortable. You got socks to keep your sweaty feet from making your shoes stink. You got product in your hair probably or makeup on your face. I mean, little things like this that God has gifted you. Now, here's the question. Does God owe any of us any of that? If you're honest, you'd have to say, no, I don't deserve any good thing that I have that God has gifted me. Voicing gratitude to God for the good things he's given you would be one of the best things you could do with your voice, which is why I love and strongly encourage you whenever we do worship to sing. Singing is an act. It's not, I mean, we call it worship. Worship is bigger than just singing, but singing is a way for us to give of ourselves to God because most of us, we would admit, like, I don't have the greatest voice. We don't have the greatest, I don't want people to hear me. It doesn't matter. It's a gift to God. And trust me when I say God loves to have you give him praise and worship. It is right. It is good. Voice gratitude for today's grace. Last, Paul says, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And his peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of the promises God gives to you. Rest in him, rejoicing in him will mean voicing gratitude and dropping today's burdens onto Christ. Another way you might think about it is releasing today's burdens to Christ, giving him your heart, giving him your concerns, your cares. And Philippians puts it this way, to not be anxious, but by, by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thankfulness, let your request be made known to him. Young person, if you really want to deal with your anxiety, it is time to make war in your prayer closet to take up prayer, not only as a trinket during your day, but as a real characteristic of your life, to give him your prayers. And God promises, if you do this, if you lean into this, if you make this a pattern and habit of your spiritual life, he promises, look, I'll give you peace. If you want it, it's there for the taking. Rest and rejoicing is available to the Christian. It may not be the constant state you experienced your whole life, but he promises, I'll give you rest. I'll give you rejoicing. I'll give you joy that is deeper and better than anything this world can give you. ASMR's got nothing on Jesus. Trust him. Lean into him. Believe in him. Act. Excuse me. Know, believe, and act. This is how you deal with anxiety. Now, we could say so much more about this, and I, I know you're probably going to have questions. Please make use of your leaders. Also make use of our, our questions link on our Instagram I'll be happy to do an Instagram Live and answer questions throughout the week as we prepare for Revival next week. But please, if you follow this, I trust, if you follow this the way that I think Scripture designs it, you can make some serious progress in the realm of anxiety. Know the truth of Christ. Believe in the truth of Christ. Know, believe, and act upon that. Let's pray. 